Stand back. There's a hurricane coming through. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. But be the man. You gotta beat the man. Ooh, yeah. You got something mean, Welcome back to the Guys Nation Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host as always, John, joined by my good friend and co-host, Rob. How you doing? And uh, John, just wanted to give you a shout out and say thanks for all your help getting this podcast on iTunes where people can download it every week from the same place. Yep, we're pleased to be available there. Um, we also have the RSS feed for Android users, so should be easy to get now and hopefully have the show posted every Tuesday night uh, in time for your procrastination at work on Wednesday. Yep, making uh, some technological strides with that should be good. Yep, big things, big things. So this week, speaking of big things, we got uh, a lot of movement in the storyline with Daniel Bryan. Uh, they had his makeover vignette uh, and some extra stuff in the ring regarding that. Uh, we've also got uh, some stuff to talk about with Alberto Del Rio. Want to touch on what's going on with TNA. Uh, CM Punk and Brock Lesnar, and really just a lot of kind of a potpourri of things the second half of the show. Uh, but first, I think we're just going to have to start with Daniel Bryan and John Cena. Uh, pretty cool vignette there with the makeover. I don't know what you thought. I, you know, some good stuff in there, like trying to make him eat steak and giving him a Manny Petty and all that. Yeah, per- personally for me as a uh, as a beard wearer. It was a little, uh, a little scary there for me, a little bit, um, when uh, you know Vince was trying to uh, actually sit him in the barber's chair and and get it shaved off. But yeah, I, I enjoyed the uh, the segment as a whole. I I liked the inclusion of Wade Barrett a little bit. We'll talk about that in a couple minutes. But uh, but yeah, the uh, the segments were pretty funny. Uh, I don't know what what did you think? Do you, you think? Yeah, I mean was, I. I, th- I thought it was great. Uh, I mean, I'm a sucker for that stuff. You know, part of my big draw to watching WWE is c- kind of the great uh, backstage stuff that they they tend to do sometimes, um, which is really what I think propelled them a lot in the Attitude Era. I mean, more so than just, or you know, even on par with kind of the raunchiness. I think was just really good writing backstage. Um, so I always like seeing that stuff. Uh, I thought the vignette was great. It was funny when he came out because I totally thought his pants were too short, you know. And, <laughs> and Vince made sure to mention that. Right. Yeah, and Vince gave him the psych on the handshake, which I thought was also really good. Yeah, yeah, they're playing it up pretty well. Um, I, I don't know. I I was kind of thinking when he came out with his hair back in the ponytail and and uh, you know slicked back and you know he had the beard going and he was wearing the suit. I was almost thinking, you know. They, they need to mention something about how he looks like Damian Sandow a little bit at this point. Yeah, touch. Except not quite as well-dressed. Uh, right, right. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, not to skip forward too far, but uh, I was a little 
little disappointed there at the end of the segment that Vince McMahon took Daniel Bryan's jacket and not only stomped on it and kicked it around, but he threw it into the crowd. I mean, yeah, I don't know how expensive that jacket was, but uh, I'd yeah. probably be a little upset if I was a dude from the Pacific Northwest who, yeah, I don't know how many suits he owns, but uh, that could have been a free suit. <laughs> probably not many. Uh, right. And they, they went to his house on uh, Total Divas, which is pretty funny. We'll probably talk a little bit about that later. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I like the um, kind of the promo he cut. Uh, it was really interesting to me. Um, let's see what you thought about this. You know, he's he's being all jovial at the beginning, um, kind of like going along with the makeover and all that. You know, and then he, he starts talking about, like, Cena's clothing and merch sales and all this. And then it was great when he flipped to saying, well, I'm a wrestler, right? Right. Which everybody appreciates, I'm sure. But the thing that I found most interesting was how he, he flipped his mood so sharply, you know? He went from being very kind of happy-go-lucky and rolling with the punches to, like, super serious about this. Yeah, it was definitely a moment where I, I said to myself, okay, Vince McMahon has been saying in the past couple of weeks that he needs somebody that has that ruthless aggression to him. He needs somebody who feels fierce, you know, feels like, you know, they're they're going to, you know, be dangerous and and could, you know, stand up to John Cena and, you know, not just be this goofy guy. And so in, in some respect, you know, he's just saying these things to kind of, you know, to run the storyline. But you have to think that at some level... He's serious about that, and it's probably something he's been saying, you know, okay, all this goofiness and, you know, smiling and getting the fans behind you and acting happy, that's all well and good, but at some point you have to show the fans that you are a, a dangerous competitor, and I feel like that's probably something that he's picking up and, and running with maybe a little bit right there. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on with that, and I, I think it all kind of ties into the overall shift that we've seen over the last couple of years, you know, since the pipe bomb of of this kind of blurring of reality and kayfabe, you know, where you're getting certain things they say, you know, they really, it sounds like it might actually be legit. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense because, really, if you think about it from Vince, Vince's perspective, there's a little too much of the comedic side for Daniel Bryan right now. Right. Uh and he's never really made a champion that was a comedy guy. I mean, maybe Mankind? I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, Kurt Angle was, you know, legitimately funny, but he was also, you know, Olympic gold medalist. Uh, yeah, and I, mean, I don't even think he was doing comedy at the time when he first won it. So. Right. I mean, Kurt Angle comes into it with the, the dangerous thing where you know, he can snap your ankle and he's a legit you know, wrestler and he's got that gold medal. You know, Mankind had had, you know, yeah, okay, he was funny, he was goofy, whatever, but he's also the same guy that The Undertaker threw off the hell in the cell through a table. He's also the guy that hangs out in the boiler room, so you almost get the idea that if he's being funny, it's because he's insane and you're laughing at him, not with him, right? right. So, you know, John Cena certainly plays up some of the humor, but he's also got that you know, super Cena part to him where he can goof around and whatever, but when push comes to shove, he doesn't lose. When push comes to shove, you can't keep him down. When, you know, when you come right down to it, 
he's got the resume where he can tell you all the people he's beaten. Yeah. And so he's legit no matter what you want to think about him. Yeah, and I think what you're kind of getting at is that it's the core of the guy is intact, you know, and, and the comedy is just secondary. Right. Um, so, you know, the core of mankind is the hardcore wrestler. Um, so the goofy stuff he did was just, in addition to that, it was never in place of it. And yeah. and with Daniel Bryan, you know, as much as old fans of Bryan Danielson, you know, have, have always had the impression of him as this, you know, professional wrestler who's, you know, one of the best in the business, the fans that are getting behind him now in droves, you know, they kind of latched on to the Team Hell No guy. They right. latched on to the vignettes with Kane, the yeses and the noes. Um, and they're, you know, a part of the reason he's getting this chance. You know, they're not the sole reason. Obviously, he's got a huge fan base, but they're a part of it. And they're probably the part that would put him over the edge and let Vince actually give him the belt. Right. So in that sense, he does need to be repositioned out, you know, from in those people's minds as not just you know, the funny guy from Team Hell No, but, you know, a serious competitor, a guy that should legitimately be able to beat John Cena and all that. Yeah, and, you know, there have been guys throughout history that have been great technical wrestlers. Um, you know, Bret Hart, Dean Malenko, William Regal. I mean, you've, you've got some guys who have legit skills that, you know, Dean Malenko called himself the man of a thousand moves, and, you know, I'm not going to sit there like, like Jericho did one time on Nitro and try and, you know, come up with the list. But, uh, you know, not all of those guys make it to the top. Not all of those guys get to the world title scene. And if Daniel Bryan came in and, you know, they just played up the fact that he's a, a great technical wrestler, I mean, I would put him up there with those names. I think WWE.com, you know, put him you know, in a picture with, with all those names that I just mentioned. Yeah. Um, I think if they just do that, he gets the opportunity to maybe, you know, gain some fans here or there. But I don't think, you know, he ends up being in the ring with Vince McMahon. You know, I, I don't think I don't think he becomes a center point of their show. And so I, I think, you know, they certainly needed to go the route where they show his personality first. And Quite honestly, I think if if they can, if Daniel Bryan can get to the point where he makes John Cena tap, and he can you know get some wins that are just as high profile as that, you know maybe you know successfully defend the belt against somebody like Randy Orton and some other guys, I think you can get to the point where he can be goofy and still be well respected in terms of his fighting because the goofiness can be secondary. He yeah. can he can take the smile, wipe it off his face and say, Look, all kidding aside, I can make you tap. All kidding aside, anything you've got, I can reverse it. I think that's I think that's something that eventually they need to kick into play and I'm hoping it happens at SummerSlam. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and they've they've done a decent job of making him seem credible in this position over the last couple of months. You know, he got that tap out over Randy Orton. Um, he was kind of the reason the Shield finally got defeated in a uh, six-man tag match. And he's had that kind of rampage finish a few times against the Shield, which I think really helped build his ability. 
Um, because again, you got to think about this from the perspective of the quote-unquote WWE universe. You know, it's not just us that you know can dissect everything. It, it's he's got to sell, you know, the the parents and the kids in the stands, you know, with their picking their noses and eating the nachos while Kane's on the screen. Right. Um, so <laughs> I don't know if you noticed the guy doing that, yeah. but uh, so yeah, he's got to be able to sell it to them, and I think this is this kind of. Uh, trajectory, you know, I don't think anybody would have predicted this is how he might get to the main event, but if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense, you know, because he's already got that background that you want them to emphasize eventually. He needed a knit factor, he needed something that transcends him uh, to, to get other people to pay attention to him, and right. then we can show those people that are now paying attention the reason he's so good and how he got this far. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and uh you know, it's kind of disappointing to me the way John Cena followed up in his promo later in the show because he chose to kind of say, look, Daniel, you're taking the same perspective that other guys have taken. You're talking about my clothes. You're talking about the Fruity Pebbles. But then, you know, and, and that's fine. That's not really what Daniel Bryan was doing, but... Then John Cena kind of took it in a direction that, that kind of frustrated me a little bit. He started nah. saying, well, he started talking about how Daniel Bryan, you know, is a wrestler and glorifies himself as that, and, you know, how Daniel Bryan wrestles in the gyms and the whatever, you know, the, the bingo halls and what have you. Yeah. And, you know, Daniel Bryan was wearing that as like a, a badge of honor, if you will, Um as if to say, you know, he's dedicated his life to this. And, you know, John Cena made it out to be the fact that Daniel Bryan was saying that there's other places that he's proud of having worked and all this. And it's just, I feel like John Cena misunderstood or he wanted to twist what was being said. And I just, I don't know, I, I didn't like John Cena's promo. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I think he's doing, he's playing his part here, you know, where... Uh, Daniel Bryan is the independent guy that, you know, clawed his way to the top. Uh, John Cena is the guy that started at the top practically. Um, and he's trying to position himself to say, you know, I'll never, I'll never work anywhere else, you know, cause that would be like being in the arena league or, or whatever. Um, you know, which obviously is kind of crappy to say, but whatever. I mean, the reality is WWE is the NFL when it comes to wrestling. Right. And that's fine. Um, and you can see, you know, there's guy, there are guys in the NFL that you would think, you know, if if they got cut tomorrow, they would still play football. And then there's other guys that got cut tomorrow, they wouldn't still play football. You know. Right. Right. Uh, but you know, in, in my perspective, it's like making fun of a guy who went to a, a you know, a, he didn't go to Texas or Kansas or Kentucky or Michigan or Duke. And, you know, in college, he didn't play basketball at one of those storied programs. You know, he played at, you know, a James Madison or a Longwood or, you know, a smaller school. And then, you know, he had some skills, but he didn't get drafted. And then he went and played for the Harlem Globetrotters for a while and went to Europe for a while and finally got noticed. And that's like, you know, LeBron James saying, well, that's, that's great, dude, but, you know, that none of those places matter. And it's like, you know, don't crap on a guy because he had to take that route, you yeah. know? 
just because those places aren't the best doesn't mean that he wasn't doing great work while he was there. Yeah, um, but but I do think it's part of the story, uh, you know, because Brian is the underdog, um, and in order to paint him as an underdog, you kind of have to paint Cena as the establishment. You know, uh, it's it's part of what makes this an intriguing match, and I also think uh, some of, the, of what he said could lead to people buying into the mindset that you're taking with it and just saying, well, that was really crappy. You know, I, I'd, I'd rather root for a guy like Daniel Bryan because um, right. they're both faces right now and they're trying to probably force the people to pick. Um, you know, it's easy to make them pick when you just have one of them be a heel and act like a dick. But yeah. if they're both faces and they're both trying to lay out an argument and one of their arguments <laughs> is much better and much more... Uh, deferential to the other guy, then, you know, they're going to probably end up siding with Brian. Yeah, perhaps. Um, I, I don't know. It, it just feels like... I, I don't think Daniel Bryan's going to win over any any women and uh, children um, with his, you know, underdog, underdog story, right? I mean, I think kids don't care about underdogs. Kids care about, you know, the superheroes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. kids, do, kids don't like Robin. They like Batman, you know? It depends. I, you know, I, this could be a much bigger meta discussion about, you know, the has and the have-nots. You know, yeah. I think there's a lot of poor fans of this yeah. of this product. You know, maybe they're not the ones buying tickets, but I think there's plenty of them out there. Yeah, yeah, and maybe I, I think I think your point's well taken that uh, perhaps Daniel Bryan would appeal to those to those fans um, differently than than some of the ones that I was just mentioning. But uh, you know. Mixed in with all this discussion, I feel like we kind of have to bring this up a little bit. Um, they've taken it a little away a little bit from just being John Cena and Daniel Bryan, and they've really started to mix in Randy Orton. Um, yeah. do, do you feel like that's detracting from SummerSlam, or is that... I, I don't know. How, how do you feel about that? Well, um, I don't think it's going to detract. I think it's another case of what we were discussing on prior shows that when you have these two faces that aren't going to fight each other, you've got to figure out ways to keep them busy in the meantime. Um, and Orton, admittedly, you know, he doesn't have a match set, um, so they're not putting a feud on for him. Uh, you know, so they kind of, you know, and it's, you know, he's got that briefcase, and obviously that's a big deal. Um, so I think... You know, whether or not they put him in that six-man tag match, I think it was still at least good that they reminded everyone. Um, you know, this isn't the go-home show. This is the show before that one. So right. at least, you know, maybe we'll find out next Monday how much, you know, Randy Orton may or may not be involved. Uh, but at least with two weeks to go, they're reminding everyone, you know, by the way, this guy's got the briefcase. You, who knows if they even mention it next week, you know, and then, when the pay-per-view rolls around, it's like, oh, crap, that's right, Randy Orton has the briefcase. Right. So I guess something that's occurring to me is that, you know, they they did the whole makeover thing for Daniel Bryan in the beginning, um, and I don't, I don't remember if it was last week when they mentioned it originally or this week when they were talking about it and doing the segment, but at least once or twice they mentioned, you know, he's getting a corporate makeover, right? I mean, yeah. that's kind of the term they used. And, I don't know, about a decade ago or so, um, 
they had, and maybe it was longer than that. Um, you know, Vince McMahon had his stable, and you know he he made a couple of the different top guys, you know, his corporate champion, right? Yeah. And I think it's kind of obvious at this point that it's not going to be Daniel Bryan unless you know they swerve us and you know oh he's fine with cutting the beard and you know all this stuff. But I, I don't I don't think that's the direction they're going. Yeah. Um, Vince McMahon has said he doesn't want John Cena to hold the belt. I don't know that I personally see John Cena being the one to uh, to turn on the fans and join Vince McMahon as the corporate guy. But uh, I guess I'll throw it out there. Um, out of John Cena, Daniel Bryan, and Randy Orton, who would you say is the most likely to be Vince McMahon's corporate champion walking out of SummerSlam? Well, certainly Orton. Okay. You know, so and that goes back to the thing saying he wants someone like Triple H, but younger. Right. Um, you know, and I think I mentioned that a few shows ago that, you know, technically Orton was the young guy and Triple H is stable, so... Yeah, but he, I mean, he's got the Money in the Bank briefcase. Does does he really need Vince McMahon at this point, or? Well, he needs to go heel. A lot of people think that. Yeah. So, do you think um, starting up a corporation type angle? Um, do you, Do you see that as a route that they should go, or? Um, I don't know if I'd see them actually rehashing that kind of an angle. Um. Because I don't know that he's gonna like, he's not gonna have march him out there in a suit. I don't, I don't know, but uh, you know, I do think that there's a lot of foreshadowing going on, um, and this is what's been intriguing me the most about Vince and Triple H being involved over the last few months. Um, you know, because you already had Vince uh, kind of, you know, slap on, you know, slap the shield on the butt a few times, and like, oh, I like those guys, you know. And that was a while ago. But yeah. we've seen them call back to things that happened months ago lately. I mean, they've done it. So yeah. I think there oh, yeah. is I think there is some long-term thought process going on here. Uh, so we can't, I don't think we can rule out the idea that Vince and the Shield may be in cahoots in some way. And Randy Orton could fit into that. Um, and that's why I feel like the way that that show ended was almost like a foreshadowing of saying, you know, the Shield attacked John Cena and Daniel Bryan, and Randy Orton just stood there and walked away. Right. And then, and get this, um, and and another thing that goes towards this reality stuff is all the tweeting that goes on, right? Right. Um, the Shield tweets, not tonight, Randy Orton, not, not tonight. You know, that's all they tweeted after that segment. Yeah, you know, um, there was a point in the show, I think it was right before Brad Maddox set up the uh, six-man tag match. There was a point in the show where, um, you know, I think John Cena and Randy Orton were in the ring, and the shield started coming down to the ring, and Randy Orton kind of, you know, went over to the ropes and kind of, kept them at bay a little bit, but he had the briefcase in his hand like it was going to be a weapon. Yeah. And John Cena had his back to him, and I thought to myself, if SummerSlam wasn't going to be such a big match, if they hadn't already hyped it up, if if it wasn't SummerSlam, if this was, you know, the next pay-per-view or, you know, I, I don't know, even if it was Royal Rumble, 
um, I think it would have been the perfect opportunity for Randy Orton to just smash John Cena over the head with the briefcase and have the shield come into the ring. They all beat up John Cena, and then Randy Orton cashes in right then and there and stands with the shield. Everybody has belts. Right, of course. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, I didn't quite think of it at that moment, but yeah, I, I could see that. And that's definitely what it looked like at the end of the show. Um, but yeah, and, and if you think about it, the Shield, we've never really gotten a full handle on what their purpose is. It's this whole justice thing. Right. Um, we're coming up almost a year since they debuted. Okay. Um, and we've never heard if they're working for anyone. People have almost kind of assumed they're not. Um, but they don't have a match set for SummerSlam. Not involved in anything. Um, now, you know, you could easily, I mean, think about it. If you're Vince McMahon, you don't like CM Punk. Right. You know, that's established. Absolutely. And he get the belt. Uh, I guess The Rock ends up getting the belt. I don't know. We almost have to throw that out. Although he got he got the wrath of the Shield, too. Um, and now John Cena has the belt. Um if you think of the, if you think from Vince's standpoint, you know he might have had the Shield as his kind of mercenaries all along. Not saying he was behind every attack, but that he was going to use them if he wanted to, and maybe he used them once or twice already. Uh, and so, if he uses them and reveals himself to use them at SummerSlam, it would make all the sense in the world that he would use them to put the belt on Randy Orton because Randy Orton would be the guy of all the guys we could think of that he would really want to be champion. Yeah. Yeah, and I um, I don't know that they would probably go all the way back and say Vince McMahon is behind all of it, but I could certainly see, you know, there was a segment uh, a few months ago where, you know, Vince was, um, I think it was right after Dean Ambrose successfully defended against Kane um, I don't think it was a pay-per-view. It was probably on Raw. Um, but, you know, I think somebody showed up and, you know, they were like, oh, uh, you know, the Shield, you can't you can't do that. You know, like, I just made that match. And Vince McMahon yeah. was like, hey, guys, that was awesome. Um, I could see him at that point saying, I kind of like these guys. I can use them to my advantage in the future. Right. And then just like you've been saying, you know, the past few minutes, you know, Maybe he uses them in this spot to kind of help push things in the direction that he wants them to go. Yeah, it would make all the sense in the world, and then it, and it and it goes in line with what we already suspect. Things like Cena's not going to tap. Um, it takes you know it takes more than one guy to defeat Super Cena, and that's what would happen. Uh, you'd get Randy Orton to turn heel, um, and you'd get some sort of resolution to the shield, you know, because I think even at that point, um, if they form some sort of faction with Randy Orton, then you start to see a little more of the shield stop not being this mercenary group anymore, which I think needs to happen at some point. Right. Um, Because they're all probably going to go their separate ways eventually. Uh, Yeah, probably eventually. Um, You know, I really like the idea of, uh, you know, the day after SummerSlam, you know, half of the locker room or most of the locker room being pissed, you know, and, and Vince McMahon celebrating in the ring with, you know, Randy Orton, who, you know, personally, I think, you know, he's getting a little scruffy with his beard. Um, 
I, you know, I could see I could see him come out clean shaven and you know in a suit. Not that he would do that every week, um, like some of the guys that you know make the suit their signature thing. But I could see them all come out to the ring, and you know, it, it's it's one thing for the Usos to come out and challenge the Shield and say, you know, we want to get you guys. You know, you guys are always interrupting things, whatever. We want to take the titles, whatever. It's a totally different thing if Vince McMahon is in the ring with the Shield when the Usos come out and Vince McMahon taunts the Usos and says, do you guys really think you're good enough to beat the Shield? You know, do you really think you can do this? Kind of like he's doing with Daniel Bryan. I think, I think I, my point is, if you add Vince McMahon to this, to the Shield, and it, it gives them an extra clout, and it gives them another kind of mouthpiece that can kind of push the idea of just how big the situation is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I and I think you know, long term, this is probably leading to Survivor Series, um, and we could even see this boil over between Triple H and Vince McMahon at at WrestleMania. Right. Um, you know, he Triple H, you know, backstage was declaring Vince has lost it. He's going to stop him. He's like, I don't know what he's got planned, but I'm going to stop him. Right. You know, I think which is also foreshadowing that he might have some sort of interference plan for the match. Um, the other thing I thought was interesting, and I, we don't really have time to to jump into it very much, and it's complete speculation. But you know, Stephanie's crying, and we've seen her back and forth between the two of them, and it's like she's manipulating both of them. Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. so who knows where she fits in? She might end up fitting into this amount too. Yeah. Uh, I- I almost wonder if um, her selling that stock is um, is almost. Uh, I don't want to say it's part of it, <laughs> but uh, you know that sort of stuff doesn't have to get out. You know, it doesn't have to be a big deal. Well, you know, I, you know what I mean. Public sales do, yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, you, you know what I mean. Like, like why would she do it now? Like, why yeah, not but, wait until right after Summer SummerSlam? Right. Yeah, I the mean, timing is odd. Yeah. And for those who don't know, there's you know a story came out that Stephanie sold hundred and some thousand shares of her WWE stock, um, but you know it's it's not her it's not her company stock that she would have gotten uh, you know like preferred stock um, from being McMahon or anything like that. It was it's public stock that she would have just bought off the market. But and she she netted like what a million dollars from that? Yeah, a little over yeah. a million. Yeah, so that's a pretty not big bad. deal. Yeah, not not bad at all. And I, I don't know I don't know exactly what these big four pay per views do to the WWE stock price. Um, I imagine it kind of goes up as the pay per view gets closer. And I don't know, it just something about it seems I don't know. Like I I wouldn't be surprised if a month from now they've mentioned it on yeah. camera. So. I don't know. It, it should be interesting, but yeah, I I, I don't think that uh, I don't think that she's completely on her husband's side, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree, and we'll we'll find it all out. But um, I think we're coming up to the break here. Okay. Uh, so when we come back, we will touch on the CM Punk and Brock Lesnar uh, altercation that took place. Paul Heyman challenges Punk to a match next week. Yeah, should should uh, be great. Yeah, we'll talk about all the turmoil that's going on in TNA. 
uh, Alberto Del Rio, uh, yep. RVD, Wyatt's and Kane, stuff like that. Sounds good. We'll be right back. That was The Cult Personality by Living Color, Mr. CM Punk's uh, latest theme. I guess he changed that shortly after he became champ, right? Uh, sounds about right. Um, you, you know, actually, seems to me like maybe it was right um, not not too long after the, uh, the the original pipe bomb incident. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was around that time because that's when I started really paying attention. Right. Because I remember he had, like, what was it? Some metal band, right? Before that, yeah. Some kill some, switch, or... yeah. Some screaming, uh, whatever, screaming fast-paced thing. Yeah, but I thought Actually, it meshed well with his uh, clobbering time because it had that little quiet part. Yeah, yeah. No, I kind of liked it, but uh, yeah, he's got a lot of good theme songs throughout the years. Yeah. All right, so we get CM Punk set up with Curtis Axel. Uh, you know, decent match. Pretty much always puts on a good match. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, Cole's kind of like. Oh wait, I'm I'm sorry. I'm looking at my notes here. Uh, Heyman kind of gets involved, right? And then, I guess uh, Punk took his attention away from Axel and started going after Heyman, right? And then Lesnar showed up. Yep. That's basically how it went down. Uh, Lesnar shows up. I wasn't really prepared for him to show up, but that was cool. Um, Comes down, Punk sets aside Heyman, you know, they go after each other. Uh, and then Cole kind of starts treating it like David versus Goliath, you know, with like Punk trying to knock over Lesnar. Right, right. Which was pretty funny. Lesnar's finally down, the big man's down, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's a nice back and forth there. Uh, but you see CM Punk get distracted by Paul Heyman constantly now. Right. Uh, which I think is interesting. Um, you know, that could be foreshadowing of, like, that's his Achilles heel, you know, when he fights Lesnar. Maybe he he gets Lesnar to a point where he's actually got him down and he could win the match, and then he lets Heyman F it up for him, you know? Yeah, by, I mean... By putting, turning his attention to Heyman. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of disappointing for me that they're doing that. I mean, I like it as a storyline element, but it's kind of disappointing because Brock Lesnar is such a beast. I mean, like... The, the hard part about beating up Brock Lesnar should be because it's Brock Lesnar. It shouldn't right. be because, you know, you have this added distraction. You know, I mean, Big E is a huge dude, right? I mean, nobody I know could, could touch Big E Langston, right? His peck is bigger than your head. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he is certainly nowhere near as intimidating as Brock Lesnar. Right. Right? So... You know, it's 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 not like with Dolph and Big E where, you know, you need an AJ-type element in there for distraction purposes. You know, but that's that's essentially what they're doing with Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar and CM Punk. And yeah. I, I mean, they're doing it well, don't get me wrong, but 
I don't know. I I don't feel like it needed it because I you know I was uh, I was really into that fight you know when when Lesnar and Punk were fighting outside the ring and you know Lesnar stole the chair away from Punk and you know threw it in the ring and then they started you know th- trading fists back and forth you know throwing bombs. CM Punk you know does the kicks and it's like it's some of that MMA atmosphere where. You feel like okay, one guy is not as big as the other. One guy is not as strong as the other, but he's got different talents, and you know how can he use that? It was really exciting to me. Yeah. Um, so I, I wish they would do you know focus more on that. But yeah, I, I kind of feel like uh, if CM Punk loses at SummerSlam against the Beast, that it's going to be because he's focused a little too much on Paul Heyman. Yeah, and I think that's what they're priming us to see, but. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's really exciting, the, the interaction between the two of them. I think that definitely bodes well for the action we're going to see at SummerSlam. Um, I mean, I could see this being easily stealing the show. And, uh, you know, at least if we're talking about gimmicks for matches, at least they're not in a cage, right? Yeah. yeah they could have they could have ruined it further by doing something like that. At least it's a straight-up match. Um, and, you know, I, I don't mind the Paul Heyman involvement with distracting Punk, because I don't feel it's like, it's not like your typical women's thing where they get up on the apron, you know, and show their show their puppies, and then all of a sudden everybody can't focus on the match. It's something where, you know, and the facial expressions they have towards each other, it's just so visceral, and they just despise each other. Right. Um, to where, you know, I find it, I find it interesting. I don't know, it tells a story, it, it works for me. But the thing that's gonna, you know, th- it could be, taken away from the match, because next week we're going to have Paul Heyman go against CM Punk. Um, now, I mean, I guess you got to figure Brock Lesnar's going to ensure Heyman doesn't actually get hurt in some way. Right, right. Or maybe Curtis Axel. Yeah. But, you know, I, there's always a possibility that he does get hurt, and then he's not quite as involved in the match. You know, maybe he's up in the in the box or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and... and... I almost feel like CM Punk should say that he's not taking the match against Paul Heyman because, I mean, there was a time, right. it's probably a year ago maybe, I don't know, it's it's sometime after the pipe bomb incident where, you know, CM Punk was supposed to have a, a contract signing with somebody and, you know, the first thing he does is he comes out and says, so when do we flip over the table? You know, when when do we start brawling? Do we wait until after we sign? Is that how these things work? Because that's always the way these things happen. Yeah. I feel like CM Punk should come out and say, you know what, Paul Heyman wants a match with me. Yeah, right, I'm not falling into that trap. I, I feel like that's the type of character that CM Punk is. I feel like that's yeah. that's something he would say. Um, I mean, he, he said in interviews before that, you know, WWE creative writes things for him to say, and a lot of times he looks at it and just rips it up and says, "I'm I'm not saying that. I would never say that. That's not that's not who I am." Yeah. So I almost feel like you know this match that Paul Heyman has. You know, yeah, okay, it's the type of thing we've seen you know a dozen times before over the past you know two decades, whatever. But it feels like somehow they need to do something a little different with this. So. That aspect actually intrigues me more than the fact that Paul Heyman's going to be getting into the ring supposedly with CM Punk. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. And and you know, Punk hasn't accepted yet. All they did was have that promo or that backstage interview, and 
we never saw Punk again. Yeah, how um, how how awkward was that promo? That was so great. Could I mean? Could you believe, <laughs> Lesnar? I mean, yeah. first of all, you know, his he was okay. You know, he stumbled a little on his words. You know, yeah. I'm the beast and the best. And he goes, Paul, say something stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. my God. You know, I wonder if they knew he was going to say that. I mean, nobody laughed, thankfully. Right. Right. But oh my God. I mean, that's yeah. that's got to be hard to st- to stand there with a straight face when he says that. Yeah, I was I was certainly uh, I, I don't even remember what Paul Heyman said at that point because I was just sitting there staring at Lesnar, thinking like, is he gonna is he gonna crack? Is he gonna is he gonna like smile? Is he gonna you know kind of hit himself in the head for you know for sounding kind of weird? Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, they all they all held like Chris Farley, so stupid, God. Right, right. <laughs> I always ruin it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and but well, it was kind of weird because Heyman like pulled in the mic real close and was really quiet. And so I think what, what kind of happened was everybody was laughing at Lesnar and right. didn't hear what Heyman said. Yeah. Um, the other thing I thought was really cool with that interview, I don't know if you noticed, but Axel was like grabbing his jaw the whole time and like kind of acting like he's trying to reset his, his neck or his face because he got the go to sleep. He's still oh, yeah. selling it backstage. That's, that's, uh, that's the mark of a uh, future superstar right there. Yeah, I, I thought that was cool. I, I don't know about you, but uh, you know, if, if there were people off camera that were laughing, I don't know that I would want to be the guy who was laughing at Brock Lesnar when the camera cut. <laughs> I mean, how would you right. like to be the cameraman who like was trying his best not to laugh? Yeah. And then you know they call cut, and you're standing there like you know five feet from Brock Lesnar, and it's like yeah. That's right, big man. I was laughing at you. And then he gets the Josh Matthews treatment. Yep. Just trying to do my job. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but I wonder, you know, maybe that was planned. Because, I mean, as funny as it was, you could easily see Brock Lesnar thinking, you know, Heyman always gets him in trouble with what he says, you know. He's like, go ahead and say something stupid now. Yeah. And, like, you know, maybe that's, like, the start of, a storyline we see eventually where Lesnar ditches Heyman. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, it was certainly a flub on the mic, but I don't know that it was such a terrible flub that it was like, I don't know. I mean, Lesnar's never really cared, you know, the types of things that he says. You know, he. Yeah. You know, a, after UFC fights, he used to get on the mic and just say whatever the hell he wanted and flick people off and and you know talk about beer and you know <laughs> sponsors and. You know, so I, I don't think he really cares, and it it doesn't seem like he was necessarily trying to read off of a script. And I think he was just trying to, you know, throw himself out there. Um, but you you could put yourself in his thought process, and like as he's about to say it, he was probably initially thinking Paul say something smart, but that would sound too weak of him or something. So yeah. he just flips it to Paul say something stupid. Yeah. Yeah, almost like the reverse of self-deprecating, right? Right, exactly. If he, if he says say something smart, then he's calling himself stupid, which right. is clearly not. Um, but by saying, you know, yeah, by flipping it, it's like it's the reverse. Right, so, exactly. Yeah, so that actually worked for me, but it was it did feel kind of awkward in the moment. I mean, looking back at it, I enjoyed the promo, and you know, it was it was good for what it was. But uh, it definitely felt awkward in the moment. That's for sure. Yeah. Either way, it, I thought it was cool that he was that he said something. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, because 
he's the case of a guy that comes back or comes into the wrestling ring from the MMA ring uh, and appears to be interested in at least putting on a good show. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's he's trying to sell tickets and he's trying to do right by the company. Whereas a rival promotion has been <laughs> introducing a lot of MMA guys. Right. It doesn't sound like it's been going very well. Um, I'll admit I'm not a TNA watcher, um, but I felt... Another reason, you know, there's a couple of reasons I don't watch it. I've tried, uh, right. but none of the characters have really grabbed me. I'm more, I'm more of a character guy, so nothing has really compelled me yet. I admittedly haven't given, given it enough of a chance, probably. But And then, two, the camera works a little, little iffy sometimes, which kind of I'm spoiled by WWE. Yeah, it's not, not the greatest production values. And three, well, and, and along with those production values was the impact zone, right? It's their little... I mean, at least they've gone on the road finally. Right. And then three is um, I just don't have the freaking time. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a lot of time, I guess, technically, but it's hard to devote that much of your attention to wrestling. Right. Uh, I mean, it's, with it's, Raw being three hours, and I'm I'm someone that actually does watch SmackDown. It's it's hard to fit in another show. Yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying, um, and you know, I I've I've watched TNA off and on. Ever since I was able to watch it, because you know I didn't, I didn't get, I didn't get any of those weekly pay-per-views back in the day. And for a while before it was on, uh, I don't know whether it was originally on Spike TV, um, but whatever channel it, it eventually showed up on, that's that's when I started watching it. Um, you know, I've 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 certainly not been watching it every week. Um, I used to DVR it. I stopped DVRing it for a while. I started DVRing it again. Then I stopped again. I've been to one of their pay-per-views live. Um, so I like the company. I want it to succeed. But, yeah, I'm, I don't even watch it uh, all that much. Well, there's no question that it's it would be better for the industry if they succeeded. Uh, right. You always want to have competition. You always want somebody to push the limits and make the other guy try harder. But... You know, it sounds like they've got a lot of issues right now. There were a lot of guys cut, um, some surprise cuts, I guess. Uh, one in particular that seemed to uh, upset a lot of people was Jesse Sorensen, who I guess broke his neck or, or something, so he couldn't wrestle anymore. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I haven't I haven't heard a lot of the backlash that uh, that's been going on behind some of these cuts. Um, I've seen what some of the cuts are. Um, you know, they've mentioned some here and there. Um, yeah, I mean, the Jesse Sorensen thing, um, yeah, I guess he did have, you know, a pretty bad injury and whatever. And I, I think I think I read that uh, you know, he was medically cleared to come back, but, you know, I think they were kind of iffy on him coming back. Right. Um, you know, honestly, uh, yeah, I think, I don't know. I, I don't know that he was necessarily ever going to be a top guy anyway. I don't know that he was really all that yeah. interesting. And I, you know, I feel bad saying that, but... Uh, well, the larger point is that it's just, there's a series of PR issues here um, that seems to be that I think if you're a TNA fan, or even just a wrestling fan in general, it's got to be worrisome about the company's future with these cuts, <clears throat> something like the Sorensen situation. Um, <clears throat> we saw, apparently, DirecTV is no longer going to carry some 
pay-per-view. Uh, not one of their main ones, but a smaller one, I guess. Um, <clears throat> and then, uh, what was the other thing? They, you got Rampage Jackson coming in now. Yep. Uh, Tito. Which is a little odd. Tito. Yeah. They, yeah. Uh, um, <clears throat> and God damn it, I wrote something else down. Now I can't find it. Oh, that Kurt Angle <laughs> situation. Ah, yes, Kurt Angle. Yeah, which seems like a pretty big deal. Uh, I guess he was pretty heavily involved in their main storyline, right, with the main event mafia, or yeah, he was speaking yep. for them. Yeah, they're they're rehashing that again. So yeah, um, yeah, I guess he got uh, a DUI, right? Yeah, and it sounds like it's to the point where he might not be on TV, you know. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was if that was a case that he ended up having to be off TV because this is certainly not his first one, and and I I would even venture to guess that this is probably not even just his second DUI. They said it's the fourth incident in six years. Yeah, so clearly the dude has a problem. <laughs> he needs yeah. to get it taken care of, and it's disappointing from the aspect that you know he's he's one of their most notable guys. I mean, if I, if I was gonna try and get you to watch it some week, I would probably, you know, in the first first two minutes worth of talking to you, I would talk about Kurt Angle, right? Yeah. Um, so it's a big deal that, you know, he might be off of their TV from that perspective. It's a big deal because he is in, you know, one of their main storylines. But quite honestly, I mean, they need to start, you know, trimming some of the fat and... Yeah, okay, that involves some guys like Jesse Sorensen. That involves some of the guys, you know, that are in the lower card. But to me, I think you need to start trimming the fat with guys like Sting. I mean, yeah, Sting is a huge name, right? I mean, everybody knows the name Sting, right? Yeah. He was never in WWE, but people are still saying he should be in the Hall of Fame. You know, even common wrestling fans, a lot of them know who Sting is. Well, there's no reason Sting should still be around, right? I mean, there's no reason he should still be in big matches. He should not, you know, be the, the focal point of a storyline. Right. Yeah, and that that's a huge problem. Um, you know, it's understandable when you're a company in the position that they're in that they think they need to have some stars, um, you know, guys that can, that can headline and, and, and sell tickets on their own. And a guy like Sting or Hulk Hogan, you know, they, fig- they figure they have the cachet. Um, that they're worth putting the money behind. But, you know, I think guys like that, we have seen Hulk Hogan and Sting almost nonstop for like 25 years. Right. I mean, there's just, they're played out. There's nothing, I am never going to think, ooh, Hulk Hogan's on TV on Thursday night and like want to tune into it. Yeah. It's just, I've seen Hulk Hogan. The, the library is extensive. Yep. Um, and, you, you know, and this, you even see this, in the WWE when guys come back. Like, look at The Rock came back, right? And how great that was, and everybody was excited. By the time he got the belt, people were like, I'm kind of tired of seeing The Rock again. Yeah, a you little know? bit. They are like, his shit's kind of played out. It's old. You know, I'll be glad when he's gone. It was cool that he came back, but whatever. Yeah. You know, and that's the fucking Rock. Yep. You know? I mean, he's, he is miles ahead of Sting and Hulk Hogan. Yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, the guy is making... He's one of the highest-paid actors in Hollywood. You know, yeah, I mean, Serena Commando didn't net Hulk Hogan much more than 25 k and a gift certificate to Sizzler. Right. And, and you know, it's, it's a different it's a different environment now than it was, you know, 15 years ago. Yeah. So, you know, it, I mean, 
we can definitely say that The Rock is bigger than Hulk Hogan now. I mean, that that's, that's yeah. I mean, and I don't want to get into that debate about whether they're yeah. bigger in their time. Right. right but right. what I'm saying is, if WWE fans got a little over The Rock after what a year and a half, right? I mean, Sting hobbling around TNA for what eight years now. I mean, it's it's enough. Yeah. Right. So if 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 you bring back The Rock every year to do a three month thing and he takes the Undertaker's place on WrestleMania as the guy who never loses at WrestleMania, and then you make him the commissioner of WWE, and then, you know, he does some things backstage, you know, here and there, and then come WrestleMania time, he's back in the forefront. That's essentially what they've done with Sting. They haven't yeah. even used Sting in an interesting way. They've they've turned him into the focal point of their company. Right. And, you know, unless they're paying him peanuts, you know, unless he's just nuts and, you know, has all of his money that he needs and he's just kind of doing this for free, he is the first name that I would cut. Right. So, you know, if, if, if we're talking about, uh, you know, TNA and what they're doing and, you know, whether it's a good decision or a bad decision, quite frankly, none of the moves that they've made have done anything significant to their ratings numbers. I mean, their ratings yeah. numbers, you know, for a while they were a little below one. Um, you know, for for a little while they, they were a little above one, but I don't even think they ever hit one and a half. Right. Right. Um, yeah, even SmackDown is still, still doing the high ones. Right. Right. So, you know, I, I, think, I think they've kind of seen that Dealing with wrestlers, you know, no matter who it is, Jeff Hardy, Hulk Hogan, whatever they want to do, whoever they want to bring in, in terms of wrestling, it's not helping move the meter. Yeah. Um, their their financial situation, I don't know what it is, but they've clearly made a deal with Bellator, right? I mean, it seems like. Yeah. Um, you know, they they don't just have Tito and Rampage now. They have another guy, uh, Mo Lawal. They call him King Mo. Mm. Um, and, you know, that guy, that guy was, you know, a fairly decent name back in Bellator. Um, he was a champion at one point. Uh, I don't know if it was Bellator or uh, Strike Force, I think. Right. But one or the other, they're, they're clearly making a move to kind of merge a little bit the world of MMA and the world of wrestling. I mean, right. As a guy who doesn't watch TNA and has never really been a fan of it, does that how, how does that come across to you? Well, I, I can see their thought process because, you know, there's plenty of people that think part of the reason, uh, you know, the WWE declined a bit after the Attitude Era and the UFC rose was that you just kind of had a shift in the viewing habits of a, you know, a defined set of... Uh, demographics, you know, young men or whatever. They're, all of a sudden they stop watching wrestling as much, they start watching a lot more UFC. Um, and so it makes sense that they think, okay, these are some fans we can tap into, um, get the crossover appeal. You know, the WWE has proven that crossovers can work, you know, when they've done it with music and with sports, you know, with Mike Tyson and stuff like that. Um, so that's probably what they're thinking, Plus, I'm sure Bellator is giving them money. Um, you know, I'm sure there's all sorts of, of you know, pieces to the web that that put that in place. Um, 
I just don't think it's going to work necessarily uh, because much like most of what they've done, it doesn't seem to have a defined plan. I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I, admittedly, I'm not watching every week, but from what I hear and what I read, it just seems like there's a lot of confusion, even among the fans, as to what they're seeing. Yeah, and and you know, I, I think it's part of some some bigger deal where they're hoping to pull rest, pull fans into their show from the Bellator broadcasts. Yeah. I mean, it, and I don't know how how well that's going to work, just because you know the Bellator broad broadcast is only going to have Tito Ortiz and Rampage Jackson, you know, on there, you know, sporadically, right? Yeah. So, so I, I think, you know, I, I think it's an interesting way to try and pull fans in. Um, you know, Rampage and Tito are two guys who, yeah, okay, they're past their prime. I wouldn't say that to their face, but I think, you know, deep down, you know, they would admit to that. Um they still have. They still both have uh, four hundred thousand followers on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're going to reach a lot of people. It's it's from a business perspective. I can see why they're thinking about it, but you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm a, I followed MMA, and I I kind of thought Rampage lost his mind like five years ago. Yeah, <laughs> Hearing that he's on a TV show was a shock to me. Absolutely, but he's he's still probably twice as good on the mic as. Uh, a lot of the other guys in MMA yeah. that are more popular than he is. So. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. We thought it was important to mention what's going on with TNA. Um, seems like there's a lot of drama there. Try to cover it a little more on the show here. But we've got SummerSlam coming up, and we've got uh, a few more topics we wanted to, to touch on before we got out of here. Uh, <clears throat> I think probably the biggest one is what's going on with Alberto Del Rio. Um First, I wanted to at least mention what happened on SmackDown. Um, you know, he he picked Ricardo Rodriguez, which I happily predicted, so that was kind of cool. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so <clears throat> obviously they didn't let him do that. They ended up having a triple threat match with uh, Christian, uh, RVD, and Norton, which I don't know about you, but that was one of the best triple threats I've seen in a long time. You know, it was pretty good. Um, I, I was still blown away by the fact that... Uh... It was the guy you predicted was going to um, be uh, the next challenger for yeah. Del Rio. It against the guy I predicted was going to be the next challenger for Del Rio against the guy who holds the Money in the Bank briefcase for the other world title. Yeah, yeah, very odd situation. Although I like the way they did it because I think what what you saw was. Uh, RVD being able to display what makes him so so much of a one of a kind, right? Right. Um, you know, he pretty much threw out every move he has. Um, you know, so it was very impressive, and and he has good chemistry with those guys, with Christian and Orton, they're guys he's worked with in the past. So I think what you see, what that match did, was pump RVD up more and put in everybody's mind. You know, this is a guy that's he belongs at that level. Um, right. But he didn't necessarily have to win the match to be at that level. They just they pumped him up enough to make it work, give Christian the win. I, I don't know if this match is going to go forward just as is. It seems a little odd. Um, but they have like they've posted videos and advertisements for it already, so maybe it is. I, I kind of thought they were going to squeeze RVD in somehow, um, but maybe they're not. 
Yeah, I was thinking that uh, perhaps there would be some sort of four-way match. Um, you know, Alberto Del Rio did originally name Ricardo Rodriguez as his opponent. Yeah. And uh, since then, RVD did defeat Alberto Del Rio. And Alberto yeah. Del Rio gave Ricardo Rodriguez a beatdown. And Christian's already earned the match. Right. So, not that I think they're going to do a four-way, but I think it would be interesting at this point to turn it into four-way. <laughs> I, I yeah, I mean, think, I'd like it. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think that's happening right now during the SmackDown tapings. I don't think I don't think somewhere in the world uh, Ricardo Rodriguez is is making his case. Now, but, what about making it a five-way uh-oh. and you you throw the bucket into the mix? Uh-oh. Well, the bucket did take a uh, did take a beating, got bent it in got, half, right? You got the worst of that. Yeah, That's but funny. but from from those standards wouldn't uh wouldn't half the divas be uh in uh title matches? Yeah, right. Right. We're talking about things getting broken in half. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess it only counts what happens on camera, I guess. So, if we end up just having Christian versus Del Rio, I mean, I like that they took Ricardo away from Del Rio. I, I think that whole thing was he needed to be away from him. And really, in my mind, that's this finally solidified this Del Rio as a true heel because he really didn't have, like, I mean, all he did was beat up Ziggler more than people thought he should, you know, yeah. and suddenly yeah. he's a heel. But now he, like, beat the crap out of Ricardo Rodriguez. Now he's a real heel. Now everybody right. hates him. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so I don't know. What, does this match really do much for you if it's just Christian RVD straight up? Not really, and uh, quite honestly, I'm I'm not all that happy that Christian's in there because I really didn't like it when Christian did his whole spiel about wanting one more match. It's so funny. I thought of match. you when he said that. Oh my god! And it's like, you know, okay, yeah, I do want him to be in a feud for the world title at some point. I don't know that I actually want him to win it, but it's like I don't want to hear the one more match thing, and I don't think Christian's going to win at this pay-per-view. So it's just going to drag on and on. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see how, what... How about you? Does it move the meter for you? No, not at all. Okay. Yeah, I didn't Christian think never. Cr- Christian never really has done it for me. Um, you know, I missed some of his singles run, I guess. But, you know, Edge was always kind of the, the more compelling guy in there in their tag team, Christian always was funny and everything, um, but it was hard for me to buy him as a singles competitor. Um, you know, and nothing's really changed. I hate his finisher. I mean, I just hate it. The, the unprettier? Yeah. I mean, he can the never set it up. It's the worst. Yeah. Right. Like, you would think that's the kind of thing a guy, when he's like 24, 25, just getting in, you know, he thinks it's really cool and he, just, he, he really wants it to work and then eventually realizes this is just too friggin' hard to set up. You know, right? It looks awful. Yeah, and then, well, and then move on from it. But the guy's like forty-two, and he's still doing it. So, I don't know. right? And and I don't know about you, but uh, you know, it's a cool move when he hits it, but he doesn't hit it very quickly, even no. when he does hit it. It's and, like watching paint dry. Yeah, and so the the only thing that I I dislike more than watching him try to do that move at this point is watching him do a spear, because <laughs> it's like. It's like you know, it's like watching my three-year-old son tackle like a pillow off the bed or something like that. It's like yeah. Christian doesn't have any force behind him. 
like Edge, I don't I don't know how Edge made it look good, but when he does a spear, like, okay, that's fine. But neither one of them has the force behind it that uh, Roman Reigns does or that Goldberg did back in the day. I mean, yeah. it's just kind of pathetic watching Christian do it. And, you know, I, I you said you weren't a big fan of Christian. I was a peep. You know, I was I was one of his fans. Right. And, uh, you know, his finisher and uh, that god-awful spear, it just... It doesn't doesn't work for me. Yeah, but he's he's still you know he's still got it as far as the speed and everything. You know he doesn't feel like he doesn't belong in the ring anymore. So it's it's fine. They'll probably put on a good match. Yeah, uh, what, but yeah, what, he's what never he, really done it for me. Yeah, what what he needs to do is he needs to find a good setup move. He needs to do the uh, kill switch on pretty or whatever he wants to call it. He needs to do that faster, and then he needs to make his fi- finisher be a frog splash. Or mm. some other kind of thing from the top rope. Yeah, that's what that's what he needs to do. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So, so what would you say the odds are that 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 the title match stays just a one on one? I mean, right now I'm feeling pretty confident that it's going to. Um, usually, when they go ahead and set up like a YouTube preview, I mean, I follow their YouTube account because they always post some good clips. Once they upload the clip that like previews the match, then that's pretty much set in stone, I think. Well, that's that's a disappointment. Yeah, but we'll see. I mean, we still got two SmackDowns. Maybe something will change. Yeah. But uh, speaking of SmackDown, the SmackDown briefcase was recovered by Mr. Cody Rhodes, brought it into the ring. It's all tattered, and he opened it up, and, you know, the seaweed and the the ruined contract fall out. Yeah, it was a nice touch. A nice yeah. Touch. So, uh, you know, Sandow comes down. They go at it. Uh, and they've got a match set up for SummerSlam. I don't know that they designated that the contract would be up for grabs, but uh, they are going to fight, so that that should be good. I love how they come out in their suits. Still, yeah. I think yep. that's such a great touch. Yeah, and and personally, I, I think that they're going to probably set it up to be a ladder match. I like the fact that we still have two SmackDowns left, and that these guys are are still you know, the type that they're going to be on Raw probably. Um, but yeah, I, I I'm really into this. Um, you know, like you said, I like how they come out with the briefcase and it's all doctored up to look like somebody pulled it out of the Gulf of Mexico. I like the fact that the guys come out in their suits. Um, yeah. yeah, the whole th- the whole thing's working for me. Um, are are you going to be disappointed if the briefcase is not on the line in a ladder match? Yeah, I mean, if it's a ladder match, it definitely has to be on the line. Um, yeah, I would be most disappointed if if my guy Sandow doesn't have it <laughs> after SummerSlam because uh, I just I really I love his character and I hope he gets the push that you know because I think he could really do something with it with his promo skills you know yeah I'm gonna go so far as to say that I'm gonna be disappointed if they don't put the briefcase on the line you know a ladder match obviously is super ideal um, I think it would be a great fit for those guys even though we just had money in the bank you know not too long ago but uh, I'm going to be disappointed if, if if it's not a situation where the winner at SummerSlam between them doesn't get the briefcase. Yeah, I think they probably foreshadowed that on on Monday. You know, I'm sure there'll be something on SmackDown where they have to have an interaction, and then there's a contract signing or something like that. Yeah, at, at this point, I would kind of be. Uh, I, I'm thinking at least. On SmackDown, I at least need to see Damian Sandow carrying the briefcase because, from what I remember, 
Cody Rhodes threw the briefcase at him, and yeah. Damien just kind of like was breaking down like distraught, and I don't think he ever picked it up. On Raw? Yeah. Well, I think part of the problem was he emptied the contents and like the, the contract was all yeah, mangled but it's, up. But it's still the briefcase, you know what I mean? Yeah, but he wants the contract. I mean, Cole kept pushing yeah. the contract. I think that's what they want us to think. Right, right. So, so yeah, obviously there's there needs to be a new bre- a new contract, and uh, so there's, then there's the contract creation on SmackDown. There you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, to me that works, but they have to set it up where it's the winner of the match gets the contract. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I would definitely like to see that be on the line. That's always super exciting. Um, yeah. I mean, ladder matches are great. Yeah. And a ladder match without something like that on the line doesn't make much sense. Right. Well, yeah, if it's not on the line, then it probably wouldn't be a ladder match, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now, we've got a couple other... We've got one other match that they just set. Um, the Wyatts had a tag match with Tons and Funk, took them out. Nice victory. Uh, and then Kane shows up <clears throat> on the Titantron. And he talks about fire and blah, 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 and wants to challenge Bray to a Ring of Fire match, as they called it. I don't know if they officially called it an Inferno match yet, but uh, it sounds like that's what we're going to get. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued to see if they're going to uh, put those natural gas pipes surrounding the ring and, and actually do it like a proper Inferno match. Um, you know, if, if it's a case where we need to... Um, you know, only one of them, uh, only only one of the special stipulation matches gets to happen. I'd much rather see the ladder match, you know, that we just mentioned. Um, but you know, an inferno match could be cool. Um, it's kind of weird that they call it a Ring of Fire match <laughs> and didn't really go into it. And WWE.com mentions the match and they call it a Ring of Fire match, but yeah. they don't they don't say what what it's all about. Um, I don't know. I, either way, Maybe it'll I'm be different then. Yeah, I mean, I could see a situation where it's like a four corners match where periodically they shoot fire up from the corners or something. I don't know. Right. Yeah, I'm. I'm a little. I wasn't quite sure they were going to have them actually just do a straight up match. Um, you know, as part of this feud. But uh, I mean, I'm. I'm certainly interested to see it. You know, why it's pretty good in the ring. Uh, for what I got to see in NXT, um, he's got. He's got really great mannerisms, you know, where he yeah. just kind of, he's always selling his character. Yeah. Um, so that'll be really interesting to see how that matches up with Kane. You know, Kane's still got it in a lot of ways. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it should should be an entertaining match, um, regardless of whatever stipulations they throw in or gimmicks yeah. they throw in. But. Well, and speaking of gimmicks, uh, as we hear... Ziggler's music in the background. We've got what looks to be the makings of a mixed tag match for the fallen World Heavyweight Champion. Last week we had AJ costing Big E a win, and now we have Kaylin costing Dolph the win. What does that lead to? Mixed tag. Yeah, and I think I think you know certainly with. Having had uh, matches between Big E and, and Ziggler back-to-back, um, we're probably not going to get a straight-up one-on-one match pay-per-view. 
And as we've seen, you know, time for for Divas matches on pay-per-views is kind of limited. So I, I do I do like the idea. Um, I think you're right. It obviously sets up pretty well for that. Um, so yeah, I, I like I like what they're doing with this because we don't we don't really need to see another Ziggler Big E match. You know. Yeah, I mean they've already played it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I think this does definitely continues the feud. Adds a nice little wrinkle to it, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm digging it. Yeah, so we'll see what they do with that. Um, we'll probably talk a little more about Dolph next week. Uh, we didn't really kind of ran out of time here, so I think that's it for this week. Unless you had anything else. No, I, I just just wanted to say really quick that uh, I really like what they're doing with the tag division. Um, they're really building things up. Uh, there have been some people that have said. You know, the WWE's tag division is still still a piece of crap, but I wanted to point out that on Raw, two tag matches, and the Shield weren't involved in either one of them. Yeah. So you had you had Usos and Real Americans, um, two decent teams, and tons of funk in the Wyatt family. Two, you know, one team better than the other. Obviously, the Wyatt family uh, got some potential there, and tons of funk showing some decent things. But uh, yeah. tag division all the way. Yeah, they're they're building it back up slowly but surely here hopefully yeah. but uh that's it for this week uh, as we mentioned earlier we're on itunes now if you want to subscribe and we got the rss feed and obviously you can always hit us on facebook if you have any questions or comments yep and guysnation.com there's a little button off to the side that says podcast you can find us there as well all righty see you next week Said things you shouldn't say. Oh, yeah.